You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that Volume got a little weird. I just can't stop playing with this knob here. I, that's my bad. Tell you what, man, it doesn't matter how, you know, every time I come down here, it's like, all right, another day. Like, you know, I mean, it's, it's a long process. This could take me two hours or so every single night to get this done. Probably longer on the weekend because I can't stay focused and because I have so much time, et cetera, et cetera. If I'm really pushing, you know, end, end to end, it's an hour and a half, not including any prep time, any research, any anything that I did ahead of that. I'm just talking recording, posting, and going back upstairs. But man, as soon as that music kicks on, it's just, it's like, all right, let's do it. I'm glad that I've enjoyed this for so long that it's become like a, a Pavlov's dog kind of thing, where as soon as I hear the music, it's like, dude, let's go. But we are officially back. It's uh, it's another day. The other great thing about winning football games, especially games against the Bears, it's not just in the moment. I mean, for, for a lot of us, it kind of is. I mean, it, it tapers quickly, but especially with social media and with having a podcast, the ability to sit down and be like, let's talk about how we beat the Bears again, rather than let's dig through more trash again. It's just so much better. I mean, obviously, we're going to lose some games in the future. That's, that's going to happen. But um, it's so nice to not have to do it this week, you know? It's, it's, I mean, it just it, it fits my personality, too, because I am the probably the worst procrastinator on planet Earth. I, I think if there was a procrastination Olympics, I would enter. And so the whole, you know, next week might be horrible, but it's not going to be right now. Tomorrow's going to be real bad if you don't do it, but today it's going to be awesome. That is just, that's been me my entire life. You know, if you don't start this project today, you're going to have to do an entire project tomorrow, right? That's true. But if I don't do it, then instead of having two awful nights, it's one awful night, and tonight is awesome, right? I've, I've literally done that before, entire projects in one day, book reports in hours, literally just a few hours, having never read the book. I don't know, to be completely honest, if I've ever actually started anything on time. There, there might have been times where I started it, you know, like a major project a couple days before the deadline. I've never been like, all right, today we're going to get started. Maybe like, there, there might have been once or twice, like on the day, I'm like, all right, I'm not doing this. We're, we're doing it today. And then, um, then after that, I just stopped caring. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if I've literally never done that. Like the first day being like, let's get started ever in my life. Very rarely ever studied, again, aside from like day before or day of. It's crazy to think what I could have accomplished if I actually cared. But to be honest, I don't want to go back. If I could go back and tell myself like, listen, you're not stupid. You can do better than like C plus B minus if you actually tried even a little bit. I wouldn't. Like, nah, dude, you're fine. You'll be all right. You'll deal with the stress. It's going to be horrible, but uh, the rest of it's going to be awesome. And your life will be fine. You don't want to spend your whole life studying stuff that you're going to forget in five minutes just so you can go to a school where you have to do that even more and get a degree where you have to, you know, work really hard and then get a job where you have to work really hard. (laughs) That's a stupid plan. 
Plan B podcast. All right, let's talk about the Green Bay Packers. Today is going to be a little bit of PFF day, kind of digging into what they had to say. Um, I mentioned it on Twitter not too long ago, and I've talked about it on this podcast a couple times, and it makes me smile, so I'm going to, I'm going to do it again. Because every time i got to preface it with at least a little bit of acknowledgement that it, some people think PFF is a joke, especially fans of bad teams. I would bet there's almost a direct correlation between how bad a team is and how many of their fans think PFF is stupid. Would anybody like to take a guess as to why? Nobody ever says PFF is stupid when PFF highlights how good a player that they like is. If PFF came out and said, Justin Fields got a 98 overall grade, that was the highest grade that we've had uh, for a PFF for a rookie ever in our history. That absolutely didn't happen, by the way, obviously. I mean, come on. But Bears fans would love it. They'd be all about it. They'd be doing backflips. They'd be sharing it. They might throw a little bit of a, you know, I know PFF is stupid, but still, this is pretty cool. (laughs) Why is it cool? Because it's at least a little bit true? Okay, yeah. And obviously, when PFF is just talking about how great your team is, how great Aaron Rodgers is, how great Devontae is, how great Aaron Jones is, and Bakhtiari is, and Corey Lindsley was, and Josh Myers is, and Lucas Patrick, and, uh, you know, Arnold Savage, and Amos, and Jair, and Darius, and Rashawn, and on and on and on. There's significantly more Packer fans that are at least open to it. There's a couple stragglers because um, either, there's really only three reasons that I can think of. And see, if I, every time I say three, I can only remember like one or two. One is, and I'm guessing one person on planet Earth fits this um, paradigm and does not listen to my podcast. This is a person who watches tape, watches film, does their own grades, and genuinely disagrees with how PFF comes to their conclusions. That person basically doesn't exist, but I'll, I'll, I'll leave some space for that person that's out there. The second person hates PFF's conclusions without really having any basis for it. In other words, I hate Rashawn Gary, and PFF keeps saying Rashawn Gary is not that good, and then, well, they're, they're so stupid. Have you, have you watched the tape and studied it? And even if you did, like I've said, would you trust it? Like if I watch tape on a prospect, which I do during the draft, I'll give my opinion and I will spend five minutes telling you why you shouldn't care about my opinion because I don't know what I'm doing and neither do you. So even if you watched film, which you don't, you shouldn't trust what you see. That's why it just baffles me when people get so mad about PFF's conclusions, which contradict your conclusions, because I know you didn't watch the film, and even if you did, the fact that you think you know more than an army of people that use a 300-page document that tells you how to grade prospects, a, a, a company that all 32 teams work with, just baffles me the arrogance people have. But really, it's, it's not really that they, I don't think a lot of people believe it. I think they just want to dismiss it because PFF is used a lot to dismiss a lot of people's arguments, and rather than engaging with that, that argumentation, just saying, well, PFF's stupid and everyone knows it is an easier way to, to get around that and pretend like you're right when, in fact, you're not. And I fully admit that they don't know everything, right? They st- I st- still don't think they've changed Stokes' uh, touchdown, which was not his fault. But again, find me something better and I'll use that. But anyways, the, the interesting thing that I wanted to point out, and I've been talking about this the last couple of weeks, um, how there seems to be a correlation between the Packers telling us their own grading system, and how very similar that is to PFF. Uh, I think this is the third time, I'm not positive, but I, I remember three in particular. There was a few weeks ago they had mentioned how Billy Turner was the highest graded offensive lineman that they had that week. And I remember immediately thinking, I know PFF is going to have a bad grade on him, and this is going to cause a big stir. I went and looked at it, 
Billy Turner was the highest graded player via PFF. And so I, I made a point on this podcast, and I think probably on Twitter, that it's interesting because we know that they really, really like Billy Turner. And we know that a lot of people in the fan base really, really don't. And they're pretty quiet on him. And the one week that he is the highest graded guy, they make it a point to mention how he's the highest graded offensive lineman on the team. That's interesting to me. Then they did it, I think, the next week or two weeks later with Kevin King. Exact same situation. Talked about how, how he graded out really well based on their grading system or whatever. And I thought the exact same thing. I bet he's going to grade out real well. And everyone's going to, oh, PFF is too good. He graded out really, really well via PFF. And he was, I think, the highest graded coverage guy, higher than Stokes and everybody else. And again, I had the same hypothesis. Just today, as in Monday, a question was asked of Matt LaFleur about uh, the center position. And they talked about Lucas Patrick and how good of a job he's done and said that based on their grading system, he was the highest graded offensive lineman based on their uh, grading system. Well, he was eighth overall as a block, as as in, with an offensive grade or whatever. Um, Mercedes Jones, a few other people ahead of him, uh, but still highest graded offensive lineman. Even though he didn't grade out all that well, was Lucas Patrick, and and in fact it was actually kind of close. So you could see how even if they had had a slightly different opinion, you could say yeah, but it was close. No, exact same opinion despite the fact that it was a close. Lucas Patrick, 69.9. Elton Jenkins, 65.3. Josh Meyer, 60, which makes sense because he hardly played. Billy Turner, 58, which is still relatively close. And then uh, Royce Newman, who we all kind of theorized might have been the one struggling the most, did. Second lowest grade on the offense. I don't want to give too much away there, but uh, again, we can keep playing this game where we pretend PFF doesn't matter and they're just making things up randomly and nobody cares. But three times the Packers have given us information into their grading system, and it's lined up exactly with what PFF has said. So again, I'm going to continue using it. We're going to look at stats and grades. If you're not a fan of PFF Tuesdays, I'll catch you tomorrow. There are also, uh, I did a poll as well as questions. So I want to try to rip through this as quickly as possible, try to get to some of those questions on the second half. And that's what we're doing today. It's going to be a good day. Uh, first of all, looking at the overall teams based on this season, um, kind of surprising results so far, so it's worth going over. The Green Bay Packers are actually ranked 12th, which shouldn't be all that surprising. Like we've said, the style points have not really been there. This is not a super flashy team. It's a team that has a lot of holes, a lot of issues, but they're working their way through it, through it and making it work, right? Aaron Rodgers is good, not great. Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon have been good at times, but they've had a couple bad games. Devontae is the one guy that's always solid. Offensive line has been actually quite subpar. Despite the positive pass blocking, there's usually going to be one or two that are really bad at pass blocking, and the whole unit can't run block to save their lives. The tight ends have done very little. Uh, Outside of Devontae, as I've said, the wide receivers have mostly done nothing. Defensive line outside of Kenny is pretty much non-existent, again, with a couple random exceptions from week to week. And the edge guys um, are more statistically driven than than necessarily grades, although Rashawn had a pretty good week this week. But again, and, and you know, the safeties, like I said, have not really been there. So um, reason to believe that they will get better as the season continues. But it, again, I'm, I'm, I'm understanding of this at this point. However, uh, teams so far in the top five, number five, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And, and again, I'm kind of bringing this up to sort of jog our thought process because some of us get stuck in last year. Everybody always gets stuck in last year. So Tampa's the best team in football, no question. After that's probably the Chiefs. And then, you know, we work our way down the playoff ranks. Number five right now is Tampa. Still solid. 
But um, that unit that I think was the number one, let me check to make sure, the number one defense in football. Oh, no, they were fifth. They, no, I was going to say number one run defense. They don't have that either. Anyways, uh, fifth-ranked defense, they are 16th right now. The defense is nowhere near what it was. However, of course, Tom Brady still graded out very high. Baltimore Ravens are number four with an 84 overall grade, uh, 83 on offense, 62 on defense again, and, and somewhat understandably, they've purged a lot of their players. At number three is Cleveland, mostly just a well-balanced team, 81 overall on offense is pretty decent, 73 overall on defense. The Rams right now are, eight, are uh, second with an 88.4, 82 offense, 77 defense. Then you've got the Dallas Cowboys at number one. Now, this is a complete, you know, one side of the coin here. Their defense is a 61 overall grade. Um, if you look at it based on their rank, 21st ranked defense, the Packers are 15th via PFF. So they the Packers have a better defense. In fact, most teams have a better defense. The issue is the Dallas Cowboys have a 92 overall graded offense, 87.4 passing, 73 pass blocking, 85.2 receiving, 83.5 rushing, 89.5 run blocking. Every facet of that offense is incredible right now. The worst part of their offense is pass blocking, and they're ranked fourth in that category, just to give you an idea. So we'll see if that's sustainable. We'll see how that all works out. It's a very classic Mike McCarthy team. The offense is the offense, which is stacked with talent, is really dominant, and the defense is quite bad. That's that's the Cowboys, and that's Mike McCarthy, and it just kind of makes a lot of sense. But uh, the Bears are ranked 27th, and the Lions are ranked 29th, so that makes me laugh. But anyways, let's uh, let's look at the offense again. I'm not going to go over every single person. If you have specific questions, uh, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. You can ask a question in there. Um, lowest graded players. Um, dead last was Robert Tunyon, which it's it's borderline annoying at this point because even though again I wasn't ever super high on him he needs to do better than this. I mean, at the very least, he is a reliable target. He's got all the speed and everything else. He's got Rogers trust, obviously, again, throwing that ball at him when he was covered and probably could have caught it, but didn't. Um, and again, if, if you're not going to quite break out, because again, Lazard really hasn't, and a lot of other guys haven't either. Fine, but don't be the worst graded guy on the team, man. Come on. After that was Royce Newman. Uh, again, Royce, let's take a look at Royce here. Um, speaking of a guy that hasn't really done anything, Week five against Cincinnati, he had a good day. He had a 70 overall grade. Most of that was run blocking, but he was fine. Um, otherwise, though, 55, 52, 42, 44, and 48, he's got to be one of the worst offensive linemen in football. Not going to look it up, but just trust me when I say he's he's down there. As for the top performers, fortunately on offense, there were quite a few. We're going to have a top eight today because everybody with a 70 overall grade or higher is going to get some love. Number eight is Lucas Patrick with a 69.9. Alan Lazard, who, uh, again, been kind of waiting for him to really step up, um, had, was it his first big game? Yes. So here's Alan Lazard's grades, just to give you an idea of how bad this has been. 50, 51, 62, 61, 48, 74.4. So yeah, it was by far his best game. And hopefully this was like the big wake-up game. And I understand they're doing different things schematically and everything else. Fine, that's, that's whatever. But we got to get these guys involved. So whether it's Lazard and Tunyon's fault or Lafleur's fault or whoever's fault it is, figure it out, man. We got to get these guys working. But good to see Alan Lazard. 
Sixth highest graded offensive player was Mr. A.J. Dillon with a 74.8 overall grade. Fifth was Devontae Adams with a 78.4. Fourth was Mr. Amari Rogers with an 80.9. Only had six plays, but he must have done really well because, again, if you don't play very much, you usually get like a 60. So to get an 81 overall playing six snaps, you basically dominated all six of your snaps. Um, Again, like like I said, it was a small sample size, but I got really excited about it, and I'm glad to see he graded out well because, again, I I was impressed with what I saw, and I'm happy about it. And no, this doesn't include special teams. This is just his offensive performance. At number three, Aaron Rodgers with an 81.5 overall grade. Aaron Rodgers, again, continuing to climb up the ranks. This was actually his second highest graded game of the year. Um... New Orleans was a 43, Pittsburgh was a 64, Detroit was a 70, um, Cincinnati was a 79.5, the only ones in the 80s so far, this game 81.5 and San Francisco 81.8, so it was up there with some of his better ones, not of his career by a mile, in fact this is his worst start to, or his low, if, if the season ended today it would be his worst season since 2015, which is the worst season ever. So this right now is the second lowest grade he's ever had in his entire career, just to to give you some context. Again, the 43 overall grade in uh, only six games is going to weigh his grade down, but even so, that's pretty impressive. And and when I say ever, I'm not including 2006-2007, obviously, where he played just a handful of snaps. So he's doing fine. He needs to continue to get better, and he had a very good game this week. And if that continues, then we're back on track. At number two was Aaron Jones with an 84.7 overall grade. And then uh, the thing that got me very excited was Mr. Mercedes Lewis with an 89.5 overall grade. The other thing that's really exciting about this, the fact that he played 40 snaps on offense. Mercedes Lewis usually doesn't play very much. And I know we, I always thought it was kind of funny because we give him veteran rest and then he, you know, he's not the number one tight end on the team. He is now. He's playing more snaps than Robert Tunyon, uh, Josiah, obviously. So, um, He's obviously a big factor. And by the way, not only was the high, was he the highest graded, this is the second week in a row. Uh, last week was an 87.0. This is an 89.5. He's had almost back-to-back elite grades this year. Um, and by the way, it's not even his blocking. Uh, his run blocking grade was a 71. His pass blocking was a 75. His receiving grade was an 89.6. The week before, his, his run blocking was a 58. Pass blocking was a 75, his receiving 91.5. I have a feeling blasting through six tackles to get those extra yards has a little something to do with it, the yards after the catch. But, um, I mean, it feels weird to say that a 37-year-old guy is going to have like a breakout season right now. So, in other words, I don't necessarily expect this to stay this level. And to be clear, the three weeks prior, his grades were 55, 50, and 50. So... We'll see how it goes, but whatever they're doing, if they could keep this up, I, you know, just keep doing it, man, because that's fantastic. Plus, it's just, he's just a guy you root for. He's one of those guys like Aaron Jones and, and a few others where it's like, you just want the guy to have just a fantastic career season, whatever. Plus, I mean, I wasn't even in college yet because I took a year off when he joined the NFL. So I was like out of high school. <laughs> I graduated in 2005. And um, he started in 2006, so he's been around for a while. A couple of little tidbits as far as the snap counts go. Uh, There's a lot of love for Jawan Winfrey. People got it real excited when they found out he was going to be activated, playing, whatever. He played two snaps. Uh, one of them was a he ran a route. The other one was run blocking. 
Equinemius was out there a little bit, but he only played 12 snaps. Josiah, 15 compared to uh, 37 and 40 for Tanya and Mercedes Lewis. So obviously they're still not fully trusting him. The other interesting part, Randall Cobb is the next lowest snap count with only 23. Devontae and Lazard both had 50 snaps. That's out of a possible 59. So basically those two are on the field all the time. Uh, Looking a little bit, digging a little bit more into the blocking and whatnot, uh, there were six people out of a total of 18 that graded out positively as run blockers. Of course, not all of them are offensive linemen. In fact, most of them are not. Um, The sixth highest was Mercedes Lewis, again with a 71. Lucas Patrick, 72. Elton Jenkins, 75. Randall Cobb, 78. Alan Lazard, 79. Equinemius, 81. Kind of goes to show... I hate to turn it into a negative, but it kind of goes to show how bad Equinemius played as a receiver, uh, considering he was the best run blocker on the team. Pass blocking grades, uh, there are only three guys that graded out positively. Uh, Josh Myers in his two snaps, Aaron Jones in his two snaps, and Mercedes Lewis with his six snaps. So nobody that played any significant amount of time blocking for Aaron Rodgers graded out very well. Uh, With that said... Looking at pressures, Elton Jenkins gave up the most with four. He had a 39 pass blocking grade. So again, he did fine uh, as a run blocker, but pass blocking, he was actually the lowest graded on the team. Hopefully that's just a first week back, shake it off kind of a situation because that's pretty brutal. Gave up a sack, a hit, and two hurries. After that was a guy that's usually number one. Billy Turner gave up three pressures. He gave up a sack and two hurries. He had a 46 pass blocking grade. Royce Newman gave up two sacks, uh, 42 overall grade, just two pressures. John Runyon, two pressures, both of them were hurries. He had a 59 overall grade. Lucas Patrick, uh, one pressure, and it was a hurry with a 67 overall grade. So Lucas was average. John Runyon was average. Royce with a 42. Billy Turner with a 46. And Elton Jenkins with a 39 overall grade. Couple stats with Aaron Rodgers, big time throws. He had two turnover worthy plays were zero, so that's always good to see. Quite a nice little ratio there. Adjusted completion percentage, removing all the bats, hits, throws away, etc. 81%. Uh, said there were zero drops on the day, so that's always nice to work with a competent bunch of receivers that don't drop stuff. Time to throw 2.69 seconds, which is solid. There's nothing wrong with that. About two and a half ish. 2.7. You're drifting maybe toward the high end, but it's fine. 12 first downs, 128 passer rating. Another decent positive for Aaron Rodgers, kind of moving in a direction we need him to, is uh, the fact that he played actually quite well under pressure. He had a 69.1 overall grade, so basically a 70. In other words, PFF said he did kind of good under pressure. Understand, Aaron Rodgers is usually one of the worst. (laughs) I know it seems like that might not be the case. I don't know why it would seem like it's not the case. It absolutely is the case. Once pressure comes, he panics and freaks out and throws random rocket balls down the sideline. But I feel like we think that because he's Aaron Rodgers, he can do anything under pressure. He can throw on the run, but we're, we're talking about two different things. Anyways, um, 32% of his dropbacks were pressures. That amounted to nine dropbacks. He was two of five for 45 yards, nine yards per attempt, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions. Um, 80.8 overall grade well kept clean. Looking at the running backs, just so good to see it. Not only did Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon uh, grade out in the 80s, or excuse me, they all 80, 80, 70, but Aaron Rodgers is in the middle of this. But um, the rushing grades, 79.4 for Aaron Jones, 75.4 for A.J. Dillon. I mentioned yesterday 5.8 yards per carry compared to 5.4 for Dillon. Uh, they both forced three missed tackles. 
Uh, by the way, they, they had almost the exact same amount of snaps. A.J. Dillon actually outsnapped Aaron Jones. That's an interesting little tidbit that's worth noting. Not, not significant in terms of he's taking the job. I'm not trying to say that, but it is worth noting that he's, he's, he's in that number two role in a way that Jamal was never in that role. And, and I kind of talked about this, I don't know if it was this year or last year, probably a mix of both. I wouldn't be surprised if A.J. Dillon or Aaron Jones had more yards, but A.J. Dillon had more carries. Because again, A.J. Mm-hmm. Dillon is the hammer. He's the guy that you can put a lot on his back, and really it just comes down to trust. I wouldn't be surprised if what Matt LaFleur would ultimately like is to keep Aaron Jones in this like 13, 14, 15 uh, carry range, which he's always been in. But rely on AJ Dillon to get you get those snap counts, the the rushing counts higher. In other words, rather than having Aaron Jones at fourteen and Jamal at twelve, have Aaron Jones at fourteen and AJ Dillon at nineteen twenty. Yes, that might mean less snaps for Aaron Rodgers, which is why it's probably not really going to happen anytime soon. But I think ideally that's what we're dealing with. Just a smash you in the face rushing attack that is largely AJ Dillon because he can handle the load. But then you've got Aaron Jones, who is the real absolute killer. That's going to be fresh the entire game and the entire year. Because again, he's playing maybe 15 snaps a game at the most. And by the time you get to the end of the season, if you want to put 20 carries on AJ uh, on Aaron Jones in the NFC Championship game or whatever, you can feel free to do that if he's really having a great game. Because again, he's fresh. Longest carries on the day. Aaron Jones had a 28-yard scamper. AJ Dillon with a 36-yard run. Man, that guy gets me excited when he goes on big runs. Um... Aaron Jones, Aaron Rodgers, and A.J. Dillon, each with one carry over 10 yards. Um, Dillon a little bit heavier with the gap running, which actually doesn't surprise me because he seems to do a really good job of that. He doesn't seem to be, you know, Aaron Jones really excels at you run laterally, you stick your foot in the ground when you see the hole and you burst through it. A.J. Dillon, I think, is a little bit better when you say, there's your hole right there, run through it. And when there's a hole there, he does really, really well. I mean, he he can cut at some point, but it just... Kind of making him move laterally and try to make him take time behind the line of scrimmage. He's better when you just give him the ball and make him burst through it. I mean, Aaron Jones, I guess, is too, but um, it was about 50% for A.J. Dillon. He had uh, five zone carries, six gap carries compared to Aaron Jones, eight zone carries and five gap carries, um, which again, I just I, I like that they're able to do whatever they need to do for the guys that they have. If it's working, run with it. Aaron Jones with three first downs converted, A.J. Dillon with four. Grant, I mean, when you look at the tandem, it gets you so excited. You know, rather than like a competition of who got more, um, you look at the total yards, you know, call them A.J. Jones or Aaron Dillon or whatever, whatever dumb name you want to come up with. 135 yards. It's kind of like best ball in, uh, in golf. You know, 36 yards is the longest for the tandem. Two scampers over 10 yards. It's just such a good unit. By the way, um, yards after contact per carry, Aaron Jones, 2.92. A.J. Dillon was 4.73 after contact on average. He got more yards after contact than most running backs get, period. And then the elusiveness grades, um, which again are not fully understood by me in terms of what good numbers and bad numbers are. I do know if you're in the hundreds, that's quite good. A.J. Dillon, 128.9 in this game. Last year, A.J. Dillon was graded as one of the most elusive running backs in the NFL, and he's kind of picking up where he left off. Aaron Jones with a 68.8. A lot of it has to do with uh, breaking, uh, you know, missed tackles and whatnot, which could be just, it could be a nice cut or it could be just bowling over guys. I'm sure Mercedes Lewis is also quite elusive, but they don't grade tight ends. 
receiving grades, nothing super interesting here. I kind of went over all the grades and everything. Went over stats yesterday. Yards per reception, Amari with 14, Devontae with 22.3. Usually those stats I don't really care about, but Devontae Adams getting 22.3 is pretty significant because he's also a, you know, it's one thing when MVS does it, and a lot of Packer fans like to point to MVS's yards per reception. It's like, dude, the guy catches one pass for 60 yards a game. I mean, obviously he's going to have a high yards per reception. But when Devontae is the most targeted and has the most receptions, and has 22 yards per reception, that's pretty wild. Especially for a guy that's not really a deep threat, but, I mean, kind of is our deep threat. Um, doing slot watch, Josiah DeGuara, interestingly, 71.4% of his snaps were in the slot. Definitely not what you would expect. I mean, it was only five snaps, but, again, he wasn't on the field very much. Um, after that was actually Robert Tunyon, then Alan Lazard, then Amari Rot. So Randall Cobb didn't play in the slot all day, or what? Did Rand, what did Randall Cobb do? I'm so confused. He's not on this page at all. Hold on. You probably need to have a target. That's probably why. All right. But anyways, everybody was under 40% outside of Josiah DeGuara, so that's something to keep an eye on. I'm guessing it's just because of his low snap counts, but interestingly enough, that's a fact. Amari Rogers, I mean, not surprisingly, but kind of surprisingly, uh, most yards after the catch per reception with 13 on his one target of 14 yards. I mean, it's surprising because I didn't, I wouldn't have guessed it because I didn't expect him to do very much in the beginning, but that's what we drafted him to be. Catch these little screens, bubbles, slants, whatever, and just take it. He also led the team in yards per route run, which kind of, we're kind of understanding his, uh, his grades. Now, again, if you don't run a lot of routes, then you're going to maybe have a higher yards per route run, but it's also possible you just don't catch any passes. You didn't have to catch any. So seven yards per route run, Devontae Adams, 3.42, because he's an absolute freak. Uh, contested catches, Robert Tunyon was one of two. Alan Lazard, one for one. So on the day, the Packers were uh, three targets, two caught. Four missed tackles forced. Two of them were by Devontae Adams. Uh, one of them was by Aaron Jones. One of them by Mercedes Lewis. Passer rating when targeted, Aaron Jones is the highest with 141.7. Amari Rodgers, 118.8. Devontae, 118.8. Lazard, 114.2. And Mercedes Lewis, 102.1. All five of those guys were above 100. Um, DeGuara and Tunyon obviously were not. I guess we'll stop there before we go on to defense. I don't, I don't, the timing is, we're right at about a half hour, so we should probably stop and we'll see how the timing kind of shakes out from here. But uh, why don't we take a break? We'll come back, talk about defense. Depending on the time, we'll get into what we found on Patreon. We might just save that for tomorrow, though. We got plenty of time to run through this stuff. But anyways, uh, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy is one way that you can help out this podcast if you want to help it out directly. That would be fantastic and greatly appreciated. Again, you can do it for as little as a dollar a month. The other way you can help out is just to tell your friends, tell your family, tell somebody that uh, they should listen to the Packernet podcast. That's probably actually the best way you can help out is to just spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate that. The new metric I care the most about is um, how many unique listeners there have been in the last 30 days, because that's kind of the most raw number of how many actual human beings have tuned in. So keeping an eye on that and um, shooting for 30,000. We're almost there. 30,000 people listening in the last 30 days. We got close, and then I didn't do a podcast, and you know, because every day you kind of you go up some, but you go down some. You got to have more ups than downs, but we're gonna get there, man. With your help, we'll get there. We'll take a break, and we'll be right back. 
We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Welcome back. Looking at the defense now. Um, defense was not quite as impressive. Um, there were not as many goods, and there were quite a few more bads. In fact, um, there were 11 players out of 21 that were at 60 or higher. There were 10 players who were below a 60. So um, we'll take a look at those. We'll highlight, I don't know how many guys to pick on. I guess we'll just go below 50, right? Because 50 is below average. We'll leave them alone, not pick on them. Starting at number 16 overall, granted, now keep in mind, he only played eight snaps, but Preston Smith had a 48.8 overall grade. Um, just, I mean, he didn't do much. He, he had a 53 run defense grade, but he only had played four snaps. 57 pass rush grade, only had three snaps, and then was in coverage once. Unfortunately, that was his highest grade. You just, you hate to see it. But we can give him a pass. Uh, number 17th overall was Razul Douglas, which I know we're excited about, but don't worry, he did do better than Yadam. But he still had a 47 overall grade. The biggest issue was not his coverage, and this is the biggest difference between him and Isaac Yadam. It was his run defense. He had a 28.9, and I know you say that doesn't matter. Well, 17 of his 52 snaps, and 52 snaps is a lot, by the way, 17 of his 52 snaps were a run defense. He's got to clean that up, do a better job tackling and angles and whatever else they're grading him on. 
because that was the second lowest run defense grade on the entire team. And um, that's not, not great. But again, 61.4 coverage, that's fine. I'll take that. In fact, it's not even close between who do you want between Razul and Isaac Yadam based on that, because it's almost an exact reversal. Um, Yadam, 60 run defense, I'm skipping a little bit, 60 run defense grade, 27 coverage grade. So uh, it's pretty obvious who to pick. But anyways, after Razul Douglas, you have number 18 overall out of 21, Jalen Smith with a 34.3 overall grade. You've probably seen on Twitter some of his accolades. Uh, not great. He was kind of just running around like a chicken with his head cut off. Doesn't look like he really knows what he's doing. He's mo- he's moving real fast. He's just not doing anything. You know who he reminds me of? Exactly who he reminds Who is that defensive tackle out of Miami that I really, really didn't like? You guys picked on me to no end. Or not picked, but you know what I mean. Because I would not stop talk- talking about how horrible this guy was. By the way, went on to have a terrible NFL career. I don't even know if he's in the NFL anymore. But it was the same thing. He, there was a lot of motion. Everybody talked about, oh, he's so fast. Dude, he's just running, but he's not doing anything. It's exactly what Jalen looked like. But again, a lot of it is you got to think the defensive coordinator has got to tell him, listen, you don't have to you don't have to guess, and you don't have to just run back and forth real fast. Just go where I tell you to go. You got to get the mental part. And, and to be honest, that's exactly what Jalen Smith's problem is. It's never been the physical, it's the mental. And it clearly has not gotten fixed, but it's going to take some time, I guess. 19th overall, Oren Burks with a 30.9 overall grade. Actually, not bad in coverage, 65 overall. He did that eight out of his 19 times, so it's not insignificant. But 27 run defense grade, he had the lowest on the team. 25.4 run defense grade was the second lowest behind Jalen Smith, um, or ahead of Jalen Smith. 20th overall, second from the bottom is Chris Barnes. So we got three linebackers in a row, but again, still Devondre is, he's still up there. So it's not like we lost all our clout with linebackers, but uh, you still don't like to see it. Chris Barnes, I think somebody even mentioned he had a terrible day and I was like, I think I only saw him once and he looked good to me, but he played 13 times. I liked him the one time I saw him um, and I think he made a tackle and he had a good tackling grade, 75 overall, but his run defense grade was a 34.3 coverage, 41.5. So it was a rough day for the linebackers, but dead last was Mr. Isaac Yadam with a 26.8 overall grade. By the way, it'd be nice if you never saw 20s and 30s or lower, and we've got four of them in this game. But Jalen Smith, brand spanking new. Isaac Yadam, brand spanking new. Oren Burks is just being Oren Burks. Chris Barnes is the one that's really kind of stings, but whatever. Devondre takes some of the sting off of that. Um, but again, Isaac Yadam with a 27 coverage grade is just really, really bad. In fact, nobody was really all that bad with the exception of Isaac Yadam, Chris Barnes, and Jalen Smith. Not that you want linebackers to do that, but everybody else was around you know, 60 range or so. As far as the guys that did really, really well, again, we'll do 70s. Um, Ladarius Hamilton, 12 snaps, had a 69.6 overall grade. We'll round up. The interesting thing here, he was the highest graded coverage guy on the, on the team. Now, it was only two snaps, but still, credit where it's due. 59 run defense grade, 53.9 pass rush. Uh, tied for fifth place, you got Adrian Amos, 70.6 overall grade. Again, one of the best tacklers in football, 82.6 tackling grade. 65 run defense, 67 coverage. We'll get into the stats in a minute. Henry Black tied him at safety, which you love to see that considering everything that happened with uh, Darnell Savage going out. And by the way, Henry Black graded out higher than Darnell Savage, very similar grades uh, or snap counts, I mean. 70.6 overall, 63 run defense, 83 tackling, 67 coverage. Very almost, I mean, literally, 
like identical to Adrian Amos on that. In fourth place, as you would expect, Devondre Campbell, who's been top five on this defense pretty much every single week, 71.4 overall grade, 65 run defense, 81.3 tackling, 70 coverage grade. The guy is just phenomenal in every category. Kenny Clark was third with a 73.6 overall grade, 67 run defense, 70 tackling, 68 pass rush, despite his statistics, which are quite good. Chandon Sullivan was second on the team in the slot, 74.5 overall grade, 65 run defense, 74 in coverage. And then number one was Mr. Rashawn Gary with an 87.4 overall grade. Uh, What is that? 13 points higher than anybody else. 87.4 overall, 82.3, basically 83 run defense, 75 tackling, 72.5 pass rush, 63.8 coverage, which doesn't even matter. Um, he He had a great day. As far as grades are concerned, a phenomenal day. Ripping through some of the statistics here, there were 23 pressures in this game, which is a pretty phenomenal number. Seven of those pressures, I swear this was a different number earlier today. I could swear they just upped it. It was five because it was less than Kenny Clark, and I was surprised because they, no, I'm positive it was when I looked at it earlier today because they said in the thing yesterday that he got six. And then they only credited him with five, and I was like, well, that kind of stinks. But hey, Kenny got six. But anyways, seven pressures credited to Rashawn Gary. No sacks, which I know, again, is very frustrating to a lot of people, myself included, but still disruptive. Seven pressures, one hit and six hurries. Kenny Clark with six pressures, two sacks, zero hits, and four hurries. D. Lowry followed asleep here. Four pressures, one sack, three hurries. Jonathan Garvin, three pressures, one sack, two hurries. Kingsley Kiki had two pressures, both were hurries, and Jalen Smith also had a pressure, which I guess I gave him a lot of crap for not being able to get any pressures. I guess he did get one, it was just a hurry, but it was something. As far as the percentages, Rashawn Gary, uh, seven pressures, 34 attempts. I also know this because on Twitter, I I tweeted this, you can go find it, I I had his stats on there. I said he was at like 18%, it's actually 20.6% is his pressure rate in this game, which is absolutely phenomenal. Um, I think... No, it says Kenny is at 18. Maybe I'm an idiot. I don't know. But Kenny Clark, 18.2%, also phenomenal. Dean Lowry, four pressures on 28 attempts. I'm not going to do the math for all these, but again, 10% is the uh, pretty easy math. He had a good day. Um, Jonathan Garvin, three on 27. He hit the 10% mark. Kingsley Kiki, two on 15 attempts, solid. And then uh, even Jalen Smith, one pressure on four attempts. So, um the only guy that really kind of underperformed was Tyler Lancaster, who had 11 attempts. You'd like to see at least one pressure, but whatever. Considering they kind of come in bunches sometimes, it's hard to say that by the time he got to 20, he wouldn't have had two, but whatever. He didn't get there. PFF also disagrees with the stats we looked at yesterday and did give Devondre Campbell the most tackles in this game with six. There were also six missed tackles in the game. Only one apiece, though. Nobody had two missed tackles. Jonathan Garvin had one. Oren Burks had one. Darnell Savage had one. Razul Douglas had one. Dean Lowry had one. And Jalen Smith had one. Um, Moving over to coverage, uh, Razul Douglas was the most targeted of anybody, but only three of those were caught for 32 yards. I'll take that any day, all day of the week. Devondre Campbell uh, was tied for second with four targets. Only three of those were caught for 18 yards. Again, all day. Adrian Amos, four targets, two receptions, f- uh, 23 yards, and a pass breakup. That is domination, in my opinion. I'll take that any day of the week. Eric Stokes, three targets, three receptions, 32 yards. Again, that is classic Eric Stokes. Even if you told me it was six targets, six receptions, or six targets, five receptions, 
50 yards. That's, that's Eric Stokes in a nutshell, and I'm completely fine with it. This is only three targets, three receptions, 32 yards. I couldn't care any less about any of the other information. By the way, only one yard after the catch, because again, he's so good at just being there. You know, what you want to see is over the next year or two to kind of be in the in a better spot so that you don't even get targeted because you're right there, right? You're playing too far off this side or the other, but the closing speed is right there. One yard after the catch is all he got in this game on the 32 yards. In other words, every single one of these catches, he didn't get a single yard more with the exception of one time, one yard. Uh, Chandon Sullivan, again, who is the uh, second highest graded coverage guy, the only one that actually matters, that actually played a lot of coverage, um, mentioned that he looked really fired up today. Three targets, zero receptions on the day, 39.6 passer rating. Jalen Smith, two targets, two receptions, 29 yards. Even at that, I don't care. I'll, I'll take that. I mean, I know all these add up. Nobody got killed. Nobody got killed. Razul Douglas gave up the most yards of anybody at 32 yards. This defense did its job. I mean, that's, you want to know why teams aren't running up the score on the Packers and the Packers are actually doing quite well. And despite giving up touchdowns, once people get in the red zone, blah, 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 all that stuff. Look at this. 32 yards is the most anybody get. I know it's the Bears, but this is solid, dude. Isaac Yadam, even one target, one reception, 20 yards. Now, granted, had he been out there longer than nine snaps, things were about to get real bad. Plus, I mean, let's be honest, he basically gave up an 80-yard reception when he tackled the guy in the end zone, but which is also probably reflected in why his grade is so terrible, but still, whatever. Chris Barnes, one target, one reception, five yards. Uh, he did give up a touchdown, though, so that one stings a little bit. Darnell Savage, one target, one reception, 15 yards, and a pick. So, good with that. And Henry Black, one target, zero receptions. So, no problems. And good news, everybody, I think my kids found their tin whistles. So, it's going to be, that's great. Spent the day looking for those, and I am... I can happily report from the basement, not even being upstairs, that uh, they found them. Anyone want to guess how I know? (laughs) Jeez. I swear those things only make one note. Even when you go to a different note, it's the same note every time. (laughs) That's what I hear all day long. You think I'm annoying? Come to my house. My neighbors think that we butcher cats for a living. That's what my neighbors probably think we do. Like, what do they do over there? Oh, now I know. Now I know what they do for a living. Anyways, kicking it over to special teams. Actually got some good news to report. We'll start with the bad stuff, though. Um, guys that weren't quite up to par, Oren Burks, Henry Black, A.J. Dillon were in the 40s, Hunter Bradley in the 30s, Kylan Hill in the 30s, and Josiah DeGuara at 29.9. Hate to see it. Um, really good players, though. Alan Lazard with a 71 overall grade, Chris Barnes with a 74 overall grade, and Shamar Jean Charles, please, oh, please, oh, please tell me this guy turns into a great special teamer because I will take that. If that's all he is, I'll take that. Uh, Return grades weren't all that good, but again, Amari um, had the two punt returns, uh, 16 yards, basically. Just on one return was 16, one was zero. But again, regardless of the grade, I I was happy with that return. Kylan just, you know... He's, I feel like every single time I look at his stats, he gets his returns are 23 yards, which I always feel like it's fine because I'd like you to get to the 25 and that's close. But it's also just like, I don't know, whatever. It's like an annoying paper cut. Obviously, a broken bone is going to be worse, right? Or getting punched in the eye. But that paper cut is really annoying. At least if you get punched in the eye, you kind of like, you get this thing where you try to want to tough it out, you know? Like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. It doesn't even hurt. I'm good. And you kind of walk around. And so it's like a... 
like a prideful badge of honor thing. You know, you feel the swelling. It's like, yeah, just got punched in the eye. Paper cut, you're like a baby. Dude, it, it hurts and it itches at the same time. And you're like sucking on it. And that makes it worse. And it's like, what should I do? And then you have a spouse that thinks you're a complete failure as a human being. Like, I thought I married a, a, a male person, like a guy with like a little testosterone. Turns out he's crying about a paper cut right now. I'm just saying it's annoying and it stings, and that's uh, Kylan Hill. As a kick returner, I'm you know sure he'd be great as a running back and all that. And then again, the uh, the kicking grades, Mason Crosby right at that 60, uh, 65 on the field goals. Corey Bajorquez, 65 also on punting. Again, don't be offended. That's what everybody gets. It gets 60s. Occasionally somebody gets a 70. I don't know what it takes to get a 70 because Corey didn't get one, but some people sometimes get them. But three attempts, 168 yards. 56 yards per attempt, 45.7 net. 82 was his long. Again, let's not pretend that he booted it 82 yards. He probably kicked it 65, and it bounced, you know, a solid 17 yards. It also went into the end zone, which is not really the goal. But considering the situation, we were way backed up, and I think the snap hit the ground. 82-yard uh, boot I will take every day, all day. I'm just trying to rationalize in my head how that gets a 65 overall grade, and that's what comes to mind. Uh, also, four four eight hang time, which again, um, you kick line drives. They don't usually have a lot of hang time, but four four eight is really not that bad when you're just <laughs> you're just booting line drive kicks. Um, I think I am going to wait for Patreon for tomorrow because this took a little longer. I thought I could sneak it all in the first half. Silly me. Um, so I'm probably just going to go ahead and leave it at that. Uh, if you are a patron, just jump on that uh, that question that thread. Continue to throw them in there because we're doing that tomorrow. Might even add a couple more for tomorrow. It'll just be a, a fun little Patreon day. So if you want to get involved in Patreon day, patreon.com forward slash back underscore day. for a dollar. Anyways, you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you as always tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.